Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Amen, amen. Thank you, Ben, for leading us. Hey, you can have a seat. And I feel, I feel God is moving in this house today. Really feel like he has something uh, special and unique for us. Like the lights coming on. That's awesome. That's cool. Uh, but I'm so glad that you are here as we wrap up really this series that was going to be four weeks, by the way. You should know that. Joy Jitsu was going to be four weeks covering the four chapters of the book of Philippians where we talked about how we have joy no matter what we face. And this just kind of turned into something a little bit more. And I'm excited to wrap it up today with what I believe God has for us as we talk about the spiritual discipline of enjoyment, the spiritual discipline of partying. How many of you know, like, how many of you like a party? Does anybody like a party? Okay, six, one, six people like parties. See, I think we, we miss something sometimes because we can think of spiritual disciplines. All right, prayer, that's a discipline. Like, and, and it is, without prayer, our life is toast. We need to pray. We need, we need God's spirit moving in and through our lives and reading God's word. We think that's a spiritual discipline. Like we need God's word. We need to daily kind of be in the word and getting the word and renewing our mind in Christ through, through the word. But when it comes to joy and when it comes to enjoying life, sometimes we forget that this ultimately is a spiritual discipline. And so I'm gonna talk about prayer and the word, but I think those things are the, the means to a greater end. And that is you experiencing joy. And that is you living a life filled with, with joy and enjoyment. Because if you read the Bible from Genesis to the end, cover to cover, there is this idea beginning in Genesis that we were created in the image of God to enjoy life, to enjoy relationship with God, to enjoy relationship with, with one another. Like his motive in creating us was for Joy, that was his original design. That was his original intention, that he gave us everything for our enjoyment. You can look back in the garden. He said, you know, work the ground, sub, subdue the earth. Like, like, I created you for enjoyment. Like, be fruitful and multiply. Come on, somebody tell me how, you know, multiplying, that's enjoyable right there, right? Like, I love that part of it. Like, enjoy God, enjoy relationships with each other. But then this stupid thing happens in Genesis chapter 3 and this dumb talking snake enters into the picture, and he messes everything up, and sin comes into the world. But the problem is, is that we know in the recesses of who we are, in our DNA, we were designed for enjoyment and have enjoyment in our creator, but because of sin, how many of you know that reality is sometimes difficult for us to really enjoy life the way that God wants us to? So I think this is a, a, a spiritual discipline of of epic proportion, that we would learn to how intentionally have enjoyment in life. But somewhere along the way, we, we, we make the mistake of reducing enjoying life to a lesser category. Because we look at prayer, but can I tell you something? I, again, I think that's a means to a greater end. We ultimately pray so that we can re-enjoy life. We look at God's word and think, yeah, reading the word, getting into the, the word, but we ultimately do those things so that we can once again re-enjoy our life. The word enjoyment uh, has the prefix, the Latin en, which means to pour into. 
Like you would encourage someone, right? You're pouring courage into that, that person. Well, I just think God wants us to pour, once again, joy into our hearts and in our life. I think that he has that for us today. And in fact, I need to remind somebody, write this down. God wants you to enjoy life. You're created to enjoy life. You just need to know that. From the beginning, like, like God wants you to. And if you think otherwise, that's not God telling you that. That's the enemy, you know, has ruined that for you, that God created you to enjoy life. Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. That's what the Bible says in John 10, 10, that Jesus did not die on the cross for our sins, get raised on the third day so that you and I would, would experience a fragment of life, but that we would experience a full life. Come on, somebody, that we would be filled with joy and have enjoyment in this life. So we're going to talk about that today. But in order for us to kind of process this into our soul, I'm going to give you all a homework assignment. Who's excited about homework? All right. You're more excited about that than partying. This is such a weird church. I say party, you're like, eh, homework. Yeah, awesome. That's great. Here's your homework assignment. I want you to go home today with your, your spouse, if you're married, your husband or wife or, or someone that's in your life, a significant other, and I want you to share with them your dream day. Like your dream day. If you could design the perfect day, you know, and, and, and have a, a day that was, you know, kind of holy and God honoring, what would your dream day look like? I, I'm going to share with you my dream day because I've already done my homework assignment and I've thought this through, but my dream day starts with me waking up about 50 yards out into the crystal clear blue water in one of those Tahiti tuts, huts, Tahiti tut. I don't even know what that is. A hut out in the ocean. Have you seen those things? Like just sitting out in the ocean, there's a cool breeze going on. I wake up and there's a, a hot cup of Tim Hortons coffee waiting for me because I'm not a coffee snob. I don't, you know, I'm just, I don't have to have Starbucks, just throwing that out there. I'm fine with Tim Hortons coffee. And then uh, I have for breakfast 14 strips of bacon because I'm an American. God bless America. And after I have my bacon, it just happens to be like the, the first round of March Madness, the basketball tournament, because I love the first round. I love the Cinderella story. So I spend the morning filling out my brackets. I mean, having my quiet time with God. And then I go get on a charter fishing boat. And I got my captain, it's just me and Paco, and we just head out into the water, and I catch a record tarpon on a fly rod, come on. And then I, we catch a bunch of mahi-mahi as well. This is my dream day. This might not connect with everybody, and that's okay. But this is gonna connect with some people. We catch a bunch of mahi-mahi, I bring them back. Paco is also my chef, not just my guide. He starts grilling up this mahi-mahi. And his grandmother, Maria Luisa, she is making homemade tortillas over a fire for some fresh fish tacos, right? And I eat those things up and then I take a nap because God gives sleep to those whom he loves. And so I take a nap and I wake up and if I, my boys have not gotten on my nerves that day, I will take them base jumping in squirrel suits. That's what we're gonna do. Um, if they have gotten on my nerves that day, I'm going to leave them with the nanny that I've just made up that I have. It's my dream day, all right? And we're going to come back from base jumping in squirrel suits, and I'm going to do like a 1,000-calorie killer workout 
because I want to feel better about the 3,000 calorie dinner that I'm going to have of tenderloin filet, cooked medium, rare with coconut shrimp and, and carrot cake as dessert, not with raisins. Those are, that's from hell, all right? Just with nuts. If you've ever gone to Firebirds, their carrot cake is unbelievable. And then my wife and I, we're gonna get dressed up and we're gonna go out on a date on a catamaran, just the two of us. This could happen, honey, just hang, hang in there, it will happen. <laughs> catamaran, we're gonna go to one of those private coves. We're gonna have a fire there, there's a blanket, we're gonna have some dinner, just kinda hang out and we're gonna sit there and then we're gonna talk. <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking we were gonna do. Get your minds right, church, get your minds right. We've already done that like three times. It's my dream day, my dream day, my dream day. I just didn't throw that in there. So I want you to go home today and I want you to share with your significant other what is your dream day. But here is what we know. And if you've lived enough life that the unfortunate truth about these, these dream days or this idea is that you can do all those things that would make you feel come, come alive, those things that, that might make you feel amazing. But how many of you know if your heart is not right and if your attitude is not right, like it's just, it's not, you're never going to fuel the joy and, and have the, the desire and enjoyment that God wants you to have. Have you ever, have you ever been in that place? Maybe you've gone on vacation and because, you know, your heart wasn't right, your mind wasn't right, you had a full schedule of things to do, but it just, it didn't matter. It ended up being a, a waste of money because you can't force joy. You can't force enjoyment. You can't manufacture it in your life, which is why, by the way, the kingdom of God has always been an inside out proposition. It's never been about the outside in. It's never been about the stuff. It's never been about, about the materials. This is the world's message to us. The media says if, you know, you want joy, then you have to have this and you have to have that and you have to do, do these things in order to enjoy life, right? And we buy into the lie, you know, of, of more stuff and more things because we know, again, we are created for enjoyment. We are created to have, have joy. But Jesus shows up on the scene and he flips the script and he says, this has always been an inside out proposition. You got to get your heart right. And so it is less about an activity and more about an attitude. In fact, write this down in your notes. The discipline of enjoying the life God has given you is more about an attitude than an activity. And having the, the full life that, that Christ wants us to have. Like we'll never find true joy from an outside in. Your next vacation won't do it. In fact, you cannot vacation yourself enough out of bad rhythms of life. Your next promotion won't do it. It's always this inside out proposition. It's more about the attitude than it is the activity. And I think to illustrate this, the, the book of Nehemiah, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, if you have your Bibles, open up to chapter four and chapter eight. We're gonna cover uh, a lot of that. And if you're not familiar with this book, I'm gonna hopefully kind of lay a, a foundation for it. Um, but it's a book that's all about rebuilding. And I think God just wants us to rebuild some joy. How many of you in, in 2020, like some, some sacred walls were torn down in your life? They were in my life. They were in this church. In fact, I feel like 2021 is like rebuilding all over again. 
different walls. Maybe, maybe for some of you, uh, the, the, the walls of, of attending church, the sacred walls of going to church or, or tithing or serving, these things have been torn down. And I think this is just a rebuilding season for us. In fact, I'm calling this message Rebuilding Joy. And I believe God wants to rebuild some joy in your life. And I can't think of a, a better book uh, that, that is on rebuilding and the theme of rebuilding some of these ancient walls uh, than the book of Nehemiah. Let me give you a brief historical context. Nehemiah is a great man of God. In fact, from cover to cover of the book of Nehemiah, you can just see he excels in leadership. I mean, he's, he's a brilliant leader. But for the last 70 years, Israel had been scattered throughout the, the, the nation in the region of, of Babylon because Babylon came in and captured and invaded God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, and God allowed it to happen because God will not force his will in your life. You should know that. You have to choose to follow him. You have to choose to obey him. And because the nation of Israel was not, he allowed a little bit of discipline to come into their life. And so Babylon came in and captured them, invaded them, and Nehemiah being such the great leader that he is, by the time he's an adult, he's already been promoted to a cabinet level position for the king. It was King Artaxerxes at the time, and the position that he got was as cupbearer. Now, I know that doesn't sound you know, like a, you know, a, a great job, kind of sounds like a desk job, or sounds like you know, somebody just phoned it in, but the cupbearer was a very uh, highly regarded position because the cupbearer would take a, a sip of the king's wine before the king to make sure it wasn't poison because back in this time, things were savage. I mean, that's, if you wanted to take power, like you took it by offing the king or killing the king, killing whoever was in power. And so Nehemiah submitted his resume, got the position of cupbearer for the king, drinking the wine before the king. So if it was poisoned, right, he would, he would die and not the king. And that was for the, the betterment of, of the nation. And so it was a great honor to be the potential sacrificial lamb for, for the king. But what's crazy is Nehemiah is not even Babylonian. Like he's, he's Jewish, but he is thriving in enemy territory. Don't miss this. Did you know it's possible for you to thrive in enemy territory? Amen. Hey, stop blaming your place of employment for your bad attitude. Stop blaming the dysfunction of your home, right? And the way you were brought up for, for that's the reason, the, the way that you are. Like you can thrive in enemy territory. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. He's promoted to this position. But one day Nehemiah hears that his homeland is ruined. The, 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 the Jerusalem, like the most holy place on earth to him, the walls have been torn down. The gates have been removed. The, the temple has been destroyed. And it breaks his heart. For his people, it breaks his heart, you know, for, for God's people and the, the holy nation of, uh, of Israel. And so he's sad and the king notices. He's like, you've never been like this before. This is in chapter 2, I think, if you want to go back and read it. He said, you've never been like this before. What's wrong? You don't look sick. And he tells him, tells him his heart's broken for his people. Tells him about the walls. Tells him about the temple being destroyed. And the king responds and says, how can I help? And Nehemiah's like, well, can I, can I take some time off? Can I get some PTO and go out there and, and rebuild? And he says, yes. And he says, okay, well, can I take some people with me that have also been scattered around the region? And the king says, sure. And Nehemiah gets a little more bold in his request. He says, all right, well, um, can, can, I, can you pay for it? And the king says, 
Absolutely. Right? So obviously the favor of God is all over Nehemiah. Like you, if you don't have for it, it's because you haven't asked for it. And so he's asking the king over and over for things. And ultimately he leaves to go rebuild and start this project with um, vacation time, with a workforce of people, with money from the king. He also gets these letters of release so that the governors in those regions know that he's operating under the king's authority so that they wouldn't think he's trying to defy the king's authority and try to kill him. And he also is given timber for building. And we all know the cost of lumber these days, right? And so... That might be the most valuable thing he's got. So he's given all this stuff and he goes and he starts rebuilding, putting the walls back up, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the city, and the project is going great. It's on time. In fact, it's early. It's ahead of schedule, but then the enemy shows up. Man, how many of you know the moment that you step out in faith? Like the enemy is going to challenge you, the enemy wants to stop you, the enemy wants to deter. What God wants to do in and through your life and the impact that you can make. And that's what's happening to Nehemiah. So the enemy shows up in the form of, of really two governors, uh, the major ones. One's name is Sambalat. Thanks, mom and dad, for that name. The other one's name is Tobias. And we'll just call him Toby uh, from HR. Total party kill. You know, he's just a, if you watch The Office, that's kind of the guy that he is. And they show up and they start making threats. Because this is how the enemy operates. Not, not just a physical enemy, but our spiritual enemy. He wants to threaten you. He wants to intimidate you. To keep you from doing what God wants you to do. And Nehemiah, being the great leader that he is, he discerns this threat. And then he thwarts the efforts of the enemy by, by doing something unique. And I, I want to show it to you here. Uh, this is what they have to do as they're rebuilding. Check it out in verse 15 of chapter 4. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Don't miss this. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon and the other. They did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the, the other. Like, think about this. Like, working, working on its own, right? This is as difficult, like, just by itself. But trying to work, trying to carry loads while, while holding this. And I'm not going to hurt anybody with this, by the way, just so you guys know. Like, think about this. This is what it looked like for them. This is what they, they had to do. Let's, let's bring it up to, to date, up to 2021, because I probably not many of you are walking around carrying this thing. If you are, it's time to get a girlfriend and move out of your parents' basement, just so you... <laughs> just throw that out there. But isn't this, isn't this what life looks like? That we're working and we're protecting, that we're, we're working and protecting. And I think what this book tells us is we need to figure out how to handle both of these well. Know when to pick these up, but also, almost as important, know when to put them down. Because you know what these represent for us in 2021? This shovel, this would represent work. This would represent building. 
This would represent um, something that, that God has really ordained in our life. Because did you know this could be a beautiful thing? This could be a beautiful thing when held right, when used right. But we forget that because we think of work and we think, man, that comes with blood and sweat and thistles and hard ground. Or let's say it comes with expense reports and budgeting and employee problems and review. And we can't find employees. Hello, just go down Peach Street if you want a job. Like you can make $75,000 an hour these days, just so you know, if you're looking. Like, but we forget that God ordained us to work, that this is really a gift from God, that God created work before sin entered into the picture, not after. And so work done right, done well, can be something that's God honoring, something that brings you joy, something that brings you fulfillment in our life. But because we have an enemy, it feels like we're doing this. We're trying to work. Because if this represents creating and building, then this, this represents prayer. The Bible says that the enemies that we fight are not enemies of flesh and blood. And the weapons that we use are not carnal weapons, right? They're, they're weapons to demolish strongholds. They give us power like prayer. Prayer, this would represent prayer. This would represent getting in the word of God. This would represent praying in our spirit. This would represent worship. This is how we fight our battles, you know, with, with worship. Sometimes we just got to get, get into worship. But because we have an enemy, it feels like we are working with a limited capacity. With one hand almost behind our back. And so this is for 52 days. This is what they did. They worked and they protected and they worked and they protected. They worked with one hand and had a weapon in the other for 52 days with good hearts, with great intentions, doing all they could, and they rebuilt the wall in 52 days. Talk about a move of God. I mean, that's unbelievable. And then you know how they commemorated the thing after it was, after the 52 days, after they finished it? Pastor Ezra, the prophet, he stands up and he addresses everyone that's there. And for four hours, he reads from the old law, the law of the covenant. For four hours, he reads from Leviticus. Like, is that, like they're tired, they're worn out, working like this way with great hearts, great attitudes, and he stands up and has a four-hour church service. And Nehemiah, being the great leader that he is, recognizes, hey, this is probably not the time. The people are probably a little overwhelmed, they're a little tired, you know, of this. And so this is what he steps in and says in chapter eight, verse nine. Nehemiah, the governor, said to them all, check this out, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Like the whole day, do not mourn or weep. And everyone's like, if you would stop reading Leviticus, we would stop weeping. I feel terrible about myself right now. For all the people who had been weeping, as they have listened to the words, don't miss this, of the law listening to the words of the law, and they started weeping. Why? This is critical. This is huge. We cannot move on unless we get this. The law was not given to us to enjoy life. The law was given to us so that we would be self-aware. We would recognize our spiritual condition. We would recognize the sin that's in our life so that we would repent and enjoy life. 
Are you with me? It's always been a means to a greater end. That God created you to enjoy life. I just believe that with my whole heart. And so that's what Paul tells us in Romans. He says, the law was given to us in order that that we would uh, have the trespass revealed in our life. The trespass, not to beat you up, not to make you feel less than, not to condemn you. Because in that same letter to the Romans, by the way, Paul says, hey, you know, for, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation now. For those who are a new creation. Okay, Colby, then why? Why do we focus on the do's and don'ts of Scripture? Because they bring a holy self-awareness to our life. Let us know where we've missed the mark. Let us know where we have sinned so that we can dive in and grow and become mature followers of Jesus, becoming more like him so that God can, like in Psalm 139, search my heart, know me. Know if there's any offensive way in my, my life. God, know if there are any anxious thoughts in me. Point those out and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's what it's for. So that we would turn from our, our ways and turn towards the life that God has for us, this life filled with joy. That's what Jesus said. Like, it's called repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is is here. And repentance is not a scary proposition, by the way. It is a necessary proposition so that you and I could enjoy life. So the law wasn't given to us for enjoyment. It was given to us to reveal our trespass, reveal where we get it wrong, so that we could repent and enjoy life. And so that's what's happening. They're reading the law. It's doing what God wanted it to do. The Bible says my word is not going to go out. It's not going to return void. Like it's, it's done its purpose. It's had its, its, its grace on it in that moment. And Nehemiah recognizes it. He recognizes the fact that, hey, maybe, maybe like it's time to stop. Because how many of you know, it would just be miserable if that's all we did for four hours is read Leviticus. I know it sounds spiritual, like, let's try this. Why don't you come back next week and we'll do Leviticus for four hours. Who's in on that? Anybody? Anybody? You should come back next week, though, because here's what you need to know. Memorial Day weekend, my older brother, who is a commander and chaplain in the army, he's going to come and bring a message. And it's going to be awesome. So a special Memorial Day message, you're not going to want to miss it. But Nehemiah recognizes, you know what, this is, this is too much. And here's what he says. This is... This is a brilliant, God-ordained, God-inspired moment by Nehemiah. And he says this in verse 10. Check it out. Go and do what? Go and enjoy. Pour joy back into yourself. Nehemiah is saying, listen, there's no more grace. There's no more favor on reading the word. It's, it's done what it was intended to do. And for some of you, I know that sounds sacrilegious. I'm really not being because I love, I love God's word. But in that moment, he's saying the grace for reading the scripture is done. It's accomplished what it was meant to do. It's a means to a greater end. And so Nehemiah says, okay, it's not time or place for that anymore. So here's what we're going to do. Go and enjoy what? choice food. Well, that doesn't sound spiritual. It does to me. I'm all about that. Let's have a meal, right? Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. In other words, go and get the filet and get the coconut shrimp and the Corona. Now hold up before it gets crazy in here, before you get mad at me. Sweet drinks, you look at the ESV, it's talking about wine. 
Well, it wasn't, it wasn't alcoholic back then. Stop that right now, okay? That's one of the most ridiculous arguments I've ever heard. He says, go and enjoy food. Go enjoy, enjoy drinks with, with one another. Enjoy sweet drinks. And then he says this, and send some. And this is another key for you and I experiencing joy in our life. Another message for another time. But send some to those who have nothing prepared. You will never fully enjoy life until you do something for someone who cannot do something back in return. You with me? That's what he says. This day, this whole day is holy to our Lord. So don't grieve for the joy of your Lord. Here's the joy of our Lord. Here's the coffee mug verse. A lot of us know the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. Strength. Where does joy come from? The Lord. It doesn't come from this. It doesn't come from this. Those were a means to a greater end. It comes from the Lord. Nehemiah is such a brilliant leader because here's what he wants us to learn about spiritual disciplines. One is not more holy than the other. This choice food and drink can be just as holy just as a God-ordained moment as, as the sword and the shovel can be. It's not about which one is more spiritual. It's about which one do you need most in the moment. And that's what Nehemiah was telling us. This is what Paul says. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, shovel and sword, coconut and corona, do it for the glory of God. Like there's a key... To enjoying life is recognizing there is a holy way to do just about anything. And if there is not, you shouldn't do it. Sex. There is a holy God-ordained way to enjoy the gift of sex. In the context of what God's word tells us in a marriage between a man and a woman. Period. Drinking wine. There's a holy God-ordained way to do that without getting drunk. I mean, the Bible tells us over and over, don't get drunk. Don't abuse it. Don't overuse it. And so, of course, this, this will always look like the break that you get after doing all of this. And this will always look like being more holy and more spiritual and more, you know, working and cultivating than this ever will. But Nehemiah goes, no, no, no. Listen, this whole day, all of it is holy to God. And because of that, here's what we're going to do. In the middle of reading the word for four hours and recognizing God's grace on that is done. It accomplished what it was supposed to. You're weeping, you're crying, you've repented. We're going to add another layer of joy to our celebration and we're going to party. We're going to eat choice food. We're going to eat drinks. We're going to hang out. We're going to talk. We're going to tell stories with each other. We're going to talk about the time that Chuck last week fell off the wall and broke his butt bone. Hey, you remember that, Tony? You were there, you know, and Chuck was there. He fell off the wall. We're going to make fun of, of Toby from HR and how creepy he is. We're going to talk about Sambalat and why his parents would ever name him Sambalat. Like, we are going to laugh until we cry and cry until we laugh. And it's going to be just as holy as this was for 52 days and is reading Leviticus for four hours. That's what he's telling us. I have this personal discipline, and this is going to sound super holy, and it's really not my intent, and you're going to understand in a moment, but every Saturday, I'll come here, and I'll come into this room when no one's here, and I'll pray. 
I'll pray over the seats. I'll pray for you. If I know you by name, I'll pray for you by name. I'll pray for my family. I'll pray for our teams that serve. I'll pray. I'll pray. My motive in preaching on the weekend is not to stand up here and hope that you like me. My motive in preaching on the weekend is, is knowing that I cannot do this. I don't want to do this apart from God moving. That I'm just participating with what God wants to do on a weekend. You should know that. That's really the way that I feel about it. I'm just participating with him. That he's in control of it. And so I believe in the disciplines of prayer and of fasting and how important that is to my life because I can't do this publicly with any kind of confidence or any kind of courage or boldness if I don't do that privately, all right? I don't want this to rest on me. And I know that sounds super holy, but you know what I did on Friday? I got up, I worked out with my boy Scott, we sweated, we had fun, we joked around, I went home and I made my my four-year-old breakfast and we just kind of hung out and just just chilled while my other boys were in school. Then my older son, uh, he got done with Keystone testing early. And so we, we grabbed him and then we went out on the lake and we told around on the lake in a boat and we ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the middle of the bay, just kind of hanging out, enjoying the sun, laughing. It was me, my wife, my little one and my oldest one. And then we came back and two of my middle boys had soccer games. And so we, we went to the games and we, we hung out and we ate Little Caesar pizza in the car, you know, in between games. And we just, we had a great time. And then one of my boys scored a goal, like, like Jake scored a goal. And we're like, oh, let's go, Jake, right? And, and my boys don't get ice cream unless they have a legitimate assist or they score, all right? Because I'm not that dad. There's no participation awards here in my family. Just throwing that out there. And so because they had a great game, like I took them to Chick-fil-A and we got four cookies and cream shakes to the glory of God above. And the favor of God was on me because we got them for free. My boy Hayden Ford was working the window. If you're in here, Hayden, God bless you, my brother. God's favor is on your life. He's going to Syracuse in the fall, but because there was a line and all this stuff, like, can I tell you something? That day was as holy, if not holier, than my Saturday morning spent praying for you. You know that? Being an engaged father to my boys and hanging out with my family and laughing and, and having a great time, like preaching is a noble responsibility. It is a, a, a gift from God. I love it, all right? But it pales in comparison to taking care of the most precious gift that God has given me, which is my children, and being a dad. And I say that because sometimes we can look at this and go, well, this is secular, and this is sacred. This is secular. Like, like this, this is the stuff that helps me grow and helps me become more like, like Christ. And King David, a man after God's own heart, says, no, everything is God's. In fact, he tells us in Psalm 24, he says that the world is God's and the fullness thereof. In other words, everything belongs to him. It's all God's. Yes, God gave us the gift of prayer, gave us the gift of, of being in the word and worship. He gave us the gift of work. But you know what else he gave us the gift of? Steak. <laughs> and coconut shrimp. And Corona. And just enjoying each other together. And before you think, like, well, you're just doing this because you like to drink. I don't even drink alcohol. This is not my point at all. 
But we do this. We have this secular and sacred kind of division because we look at this and we go, well, that's, that's drunkenness. And that's gluttony. And that's what that leads to. And the misuse of that, that's what's, what's going to happen. And some of you, like, that's your story before God grabbed a hold of your heart. Amen. That's your story. And God changed your, your heart. Maybe many of you are in recovery or someone in your family is, is abusing this. And you look at it and you say, how on earth, Colby, could this be honoring to God when used appropriately in a God-honoring kind of way? And if you can't do that, then don't do that. Don't leave here saying, I'm telling you to do this. Like, that's not the point of this at all. In fact, C.S. Lewis said in the, the screw tape letters, he said, the enemy has zero ability to create anything. So Satan is not a creator, he is a perverter. And so he wants to take this, right, and pervert it and twist it so he misuses it. And so it holds us, us captive, alcohol and sex and anything. He just takes it and he perverts it. But when it's used right, I'm telling you, it can be done in a God-honoring way. The whole day is holy to the Lord. That's what Nehemiah said. He said, hey, guys, put this down. Like, you killed it. 52 days, shovel, sword, protecting, working. You did amazing. I'm so proud of you. But now it's time to put that down because that was a means to a greater end. That we're going to enjoy life. Because we're tired, we need to replenish. We need to recharge. We just need to hang out. We need to laugh. We need to kick back. We need to have joy. So put that down. We're going to party and celebrate. Now, before, before you go... There is something called proof texting. If you want to write that down, I need to share this with you and I need to teach you this before you walk out of these doors today. Because it's something you learn in seminary. It's seminary 101, proof texting. Um, you learn right away that the best interpreter of scripture is scripture. And what becomes really dangerous is when you take a singular passage and you isolate it and you build a doctrine around it. Oh, well, this is okay for me. I can do this whenever. You know, this, is, this works for me. Like, and you build your agenda around it when that wasn't the author's intent at all in that moment. You'll read one thing and go, well, this is the way God works. This is how, you know, who God is. And you build, build a doctrine from an isolated event. So I need to be clear with everyone in this room. This is not what brings joy. This is not what brings joy. These were means to a greater end. Jesus brings joy. The Holy Spirit inside of you is what brings, brings joy to our life. So we could proof text this too and go, well, Nehemiah said that this is what's going to bring joy. So obviously, if I party more, I'm going to have more joy. That's not what I'm saying. So don't leave here even thinking that it's a spiritual discipline of recognizing the right activity in the right moment in your life. That's done in a right way, in a God-honoring way, which means this. A lot of you are spending a lot of time getting joy from this when what you need to do is put this down and pick this up. You hear me? So you need to pick this up. You've been doing so much of this. This is just leading to trouble in your life. That's taking all your attention and your focus. You need to pick this up. Some of you... You're doing a lot of this, and you probably should put this down and pick this up. So it's all about a rhythm of grace. 
and a season of grace in your, your life. And here's why this is, this is dangerous, because this we think this can lead to drunkenness, this can lead to gluttony, and that's absolutely true. But you know what? This can lead to workaholism. And a parent that is neglecting the, the most precious gift that they have, the children that God has given them. You don't think there's danger in this? You know what this can lead to? Self-righteousness. This can lead to pride. This can lead to me saying, I'm better than you are because look at me. Aren't I so, so spiritual? You've never had somebody drop spiritual bombs in your, your life out of self-righteousness or pride? Like there's danger in this too. And sometimes I wonder which one is more toxic, this or this. I don't know. Again, it's not about, it's not about that. It's which one do you most need in the moment? I'm about to let you go. And we are going to sing and we are going to party. I promise you that. But Psalm 51 was written by David uh, at a moment in his life on the back end of a really terrible season. Where he committed adultery, he committed murder. Like it was just a, a, a beautiful, repentant kind of prayer that he writes. And this is what he says in verse 12. It's up on the screen. God would you restore the joy of my salvation? How many of you have ever asked that? How many times have you asked that in the last year? God, would you just restore the joy of my salvation to me? I've done it several times. I'm sure I'll do it again over and over because David had one of those mistakes that he didn't need anybody to tell him what he did was wrong. It's one of those where you just beat yourself up enough on your own. Are you with me? He said, would you restore the joy of my salvation? And God's word comes to him through a prophet Nathan, makes him aware of his condition. He has this repentant heart. He, he owns it. He's crying out, broken to God. God, would you restore the joy of my salvation? Now, if we proof texted this and matched this up with what Nehemiah did, then we would say, oh, this is going to restore you. David, that's all you got to do. Eat more, drink more. But how many of you know, this would have just been medicine. This would have been coping. This would have been covering up the real issue in his life. And the last thing that David needed with this, do you, do you know how much a king could have of, of meat and, and wine? As much as he wanted, but that would have been the last thing that he needed in that moment. So this is what it says is the cure for his joy and restoring the joy. Verse 16, in this repentant moment, here's what you want from me, God. You want a broken heart. And you want a repentant heart. Because that's what would restore joy back to him. But we could proof text that too and say, okay, well then that means I need to spend four hours in Leviticus. But that's not what it says. That's not what that verse says. It says he wouldn't be broken before the Lord because that was the path back to the joy, restoring the joy. There's a time for that. There's also a time to party and dance and celebrate, and that's what will restore joy as well. So here's the question I have for you before we walk out of the doors this weekend is what do you need most in this moment? In this moment. Some of you have been trying so hard to find joy here that what you need most in this moment is to put this down and to pick that up because this has caused nothing but trouble in your life, that you can't live without 
this. You can't party without this. You can't celebrate without this. If you're at that place, you need to put this down and you need to pick that up. Some of you, you need to put this down. You need to put this down because you've just been relying on God to move. God, 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 I need you to move. I need you to move. And you're just praying and all that kind of stuff, but you haven't been active in doing anything and working for it. You need to pick this up. What is it that you need most in this moment right now? Would everybody stand up around this room today? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe just quietly ask God that question in your heart. God, what's going to restore the joy of my salvation? My salvation, the freedom that I have from the penalty of sin, my salvation. The freedom that I have because I've accepted Jesus as Lord as my life, my my Savior of my life. Like, what's going to restore the joy back to me? Is it just remembering the ways you've been faithful? God, is it repenting? Maybe what you want from me today is a broken and contrite heart. Just to come before you broken. Today, God, maybe I need to lift my eyes up and see the ways you've been faithful and just rejoice with those around me and, and, and love one another. Maybe it's to provide for people that can't provide for themselves. What's going to restore the joy of my salvation back to my life today? What do I need to put down? And what do I need to, to pick up today? It's about what I need most in the moment. God, I pray for those in this room who are watching online today that they've never experienced the joy that comes with salvation, that comes with being set free from the penalty of our sin. And it could be that that's why you are here, that you feel the Holy Spirit of God just nudging you. Say, you wanna receive that joy? You wanna receive salvation? The way you do it is through my son, Jesus, who gave his life for you on the cross. Maybe that's where you need to start today is to experience the joy and the freedom that you would have in Christ. And so why you're here, why you're watching online is to once and for all cross the line of faith and say yes to following Jesus and giving him your life. And the Bible says we do that through prayer. We confess that Jesus is Lord with our lips, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And when we do that, he removes our sin and the penalty of our sin from our life once and for all. And that will bring you more joy. In fact, this is what the Bible says, when one sinner does that, that joy erupts in heaven. That there's a party, there's a celebration. And right now, there are those in heaven waiting to celebrate the decision that you're about to make today in this room or online. Let me lead you in that prayer. In fact, if that's you today, would you, no one's looking around, just hold your hand up high and say, God, here I am. I'm gonna receive the joy of salvation of knowing you as my Lord and Savior. God bless you. Yeah, yeah, I see all of you. Praise God for you. Church right now, let's pray out loud with them together. Let's help them say something like this. Jesus, today, I give you my life. Forgive my sin. I repent and I turn to you. I confess you as Lord and as Savior. Give me joy in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. 
We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.